0: Alright, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you specifically also for these challenging lessons uh, that give us the right perspective on where you've chosen to place us as individuals, as a congregation that we do need to realize what our own temptations are, where our own issues arise from. Thank you for pointing these things out using Scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross 2,000 years ago to cancel out that debt and make a night like this evening a reality for all of us. So we do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit. We do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, salvation, and sanctification, part 47. I want to start by giving you this as well, and it has, uh, you know, pretty much everything to do with what I just prayed about. That, and this was just a post I put out on Facebook. Sometimes the greatest form of encouragement is tough love. Um, I think people often misconstrue encouragement that it's always the sort of boy" or it's always the sort of it's okay, or it's always the sort of ointment on the wound. And that's the only form of encouragement. Yes, life is difficult, but God's trying to build warriors here. And when you build warriors, you don't go, it's okay, little trainee. You say, get off your, t- and let's get going. You failed this test, you failed that test, we're not giving up on you. You're gonna ring the bell, pansy, or you're gonna get up and do this thing. Amen. This is not this is not for the faint of heart. If it's not obvious by now, after six years. <laughs> it's really not. He's trying to build warriors. And uh Sometimes the greatest form of encouragement is tough love. A lot of people can't handle it. But you all seem to be still here, so I'm assuming you can handle it. There's a lot of good fruit in it, my friends. That's all I can tell you. We all had a good chuckle a lot of this one on Sunday. (sighs) It's almost unfair because we don't know the context of anything. I've been thinking a lot about that because... And you should know that too. <clears throat> Anytime he puts a certain amount of emphasis on one area, now everybody in here is guilty of this problem with prosperity. So don't, nobody should be looking left and right. But don't become so overwhelmed by it that it changes your outlook on your own spiritual walk and your own progress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Remember, my job is to emphasize certain things at certain times and then I go to the next thing, and I emphasize this thing, and I go to the next thing. That's where the big picture comes in view. People can get a lot, almost inundated, drowning, by becoming too hyper-focused on a certain issue they might have in their soul. Look, we all have issues. Today it's prosperity. That might be your issue. Tomorrow it's sexual sins. That might be someone else's issue. The next day it's arrogance in some other way. Whatever that thing is... Don't get hyper-focused. Take the guidance. Step back. See the big picture. Realize that, you know, you're no better or worse than the next person. Okay? So don't, I was just thinking about that as sort of a precursor to tonight's message. <clears throat> but looking at this, you know, the guy's smoking a cigar, lighting a, you know, with a $100 bill. You have to ask yourself, What is wealth? And how does one define prosperity? Those are two uh, large issues in this particular country. What is wealth and how does one define prosperity? Our situation in the United States isn't unique, but it certainly isn't global either. We have all been born into worldly prosperity, so much so that the rest of the world has been wanting to eat our lunch for centuries now. The key question to ask ourselves then is this. Since we live in a prosperous quote-unquote nation, and the Word of God says He will prosper us, shouldn't every Christian take the time to see if their definition of prosperity matches up with God's? That's what he's saying. There's a worldly definition of prosperity. It typically has everything to do with something that can be traced back to the almighty dollar. I mean, even the global system has been on the dollar for a long time. So there's a worldly definition of prosperity. But there's also a biblical definition of prosperity that has nothing at all to do with that currency. And so when you hear this word prosperity or prosper, you have to get these definitions right. In your soul. The reason is if we don't, aren't we running the risk of thinking one thing but living another? Is it possible that we think that prosperity is one thing and therefore we think that we're living as unto the Lord but we're actually living something else? Is that possible to be confused about definitions and therefore our end goals are skewed? On Sunday, I gave you another parable, this one about a yellow parakeet whose owner thought it was blue until someone informed him. The moral of that story was, maybe you're colorblind. Maybe God's trying to open your eyes to the truth, even if every indication, every sense of awareness, and even your scale of values agrees with the world's definition of wealth. Maybe God's just trying to open up your eyes and saying, listen, I need you to step back right now before this goes any further. And you need to assess your definition of prosperity, your own personal definition of wealth. For U.S. citizens, even the so called broke ones, and that they really aren't. I mean, if you live in this country, I would say maybe save the literally the homeless people uh, who really don't have anything. But I mean, if you've got a roof over your head, and you're eating regularly, and you live in this country, you're not broke on a global scale. It's all a relative statement. For U.S. citizens, even the so-called broke ones, worldly prosperity is part of our DNA. We don't even realize it most days, and that's what the Spirit's saying. But the vast majority of U.S. citizens are chasing a carrot that they'll never catch. I mean, when does it end? The scripture says, you get money, you want more money. You get reputation, you want more reputation. You get this, you want more of that. You're never satisfied with worldly things. That's the point. When does it end? When does one stop striving after the carrot? That's the point. So we don't even realize it most days, but the vast majority of US citizens are chasing a carrot that they'll never catch. And even worse, they'll never stop to assess why they are doing so, only that the world reassures them that they are, quote, doing the right thing. I mean, most of us were brought up competitively. Well, whose race are we running, though? And why are we running? What's the goal? What's the trophy we're after, anyways? We want our neighbors to look at us and say, look at us. Look how wonderful we are. What is the goal? Is it about our own self-esteem that's based on our achievements? What is the goal? The world tells us we're doing the right thing by chasing said goals. But the Bible says something completely different. So the question is, are you doing the right things right now? Maybe, just maybe, God's telling you that your fleshly senses have been wrong all this time. Maybe your so-called Christian friends are wrong, too. Maybe your scale of values is off, and as a result, your life goals are off, too. Maybe, just maybe. That's my job. My job is not to tell you what's wrong in your life. I've got enough problems of my own. My job is to stir the pot. My job is to do what the Spirit wants me to do. To give you enough to chew on. My job is not to exacerbate you. My job is also not to go, it's okay. My job is to give you the truth. And if the truth stings, that's a problem that you have with the Lord. And if you refuse the truth and therefore it doesn't quote-unquote sting... Eventually it will, because you've refused truth. To borrow from Sunday's colorblindness theme, <clears throat> think of it this way, in plain terms. If you were colorblind for real, physically, how would you ever realize it? I mean, if you had the wrong definition of wealth and prosperity right now, and you either never came to class, never read your Bible, or when you did those things you refused to accept truth, Um, how would you ever realize it unless someone came along and told you that you were? I mean, the rest of the world is happy being colorblind, is happy chasing carrots that they'll never catch. That's why Solomon says, Vanity, vanities, right? It's all vanity. Nobody in here is going to be richer than Solomon. Nobody in here is going to be wiser than Solomon. And what did the wisest, richest man say? Vanity of vanities. I've got all the wealth, and it means nothing. So the truth is that we are born into a world where two economies, I like to use the word economy because economies conjure up the thinking that there are a lot of activities that keep the economy going, right? And there are two of them. One's based on creature credit, and one's based on grace. One's godly, one's ungodly. So here's what we have, an old friend, Satan's economy. Creature credit is the currency. The problem is, the fruit of that economy is fear, bondage, self-induced misery. God's economy is where the currency is grace. The fruit of that is love, freedom, grace, happiness, let's call it. Which currency do you have a pocket full of? That's what he's been asking. Which one do you have a pocket full of? If you're striving to rise above your peers in any way, you are running contrary to Scripture, which says, go to Philippians 2.3, Philippians 2.3 you see, creature credit, the very essence of creature credit, is stratification of the flesh. It's inordinate competition. It's making opponents out of others instead of making friends. Everybody's a conquest, in other words. Everything is a conquest. Everything is an achievement to be tackled like a mountain, for the sake of oneself getting ahead or posturing themselves with more creature credit. Philippians two three. But here's what Scripture says. So if you've got a pocket full of creature credit, you might be wealthy in the world's economy, in Satan's economy. That's the world's definition of wealth and prosperity. It's all based on creature credit. But if you have a pocket full of grace, it's different. Where do we get the pocket full of grace? Scripture. Philippians 2.3 Do not, or do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, I could probably stop this evening's message right there. Or many of you need to just swallow that hole and say, well, what does that mean to my life? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That principle appear in the board in the tail end of verse 3 regard one another as more important than yourselves, describes what true humility looks like. Romans 12.10, Galatians 5.13, Ephesians 5.21, 1 Peter 5.5. Go to Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. And as we're reading this scripture, ask yourself if this is your daily life. If you're grinding out each day for self, you're going to see a disconnect between your life in actual scripture. So, so far in Philippians 2-3, we have regard one another as more important than yourselves. Romans 12-10 amplifies the fact that that describes true humility, what it looks like. Romans Romans 12-10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to, to one another in honor. Be devoted, give preference. Be devoted to one another. Most people, I would argue, based on their own definitions of wealth and prosperity and the fact that they don't have enough time to devote to other people, are devoted to themselves. That's the problem. But this is Scripture, my friends. And this is what the Spirit's saying. Take Scripture... Not pastor red, so stop trying to point at the bald guy. Take scripture and then compare it against your life, your own heart. And don't make excuses, just be honest. What's the truth? Am I devoted to others? Do I esteem others more important than myself? Or is it all about me and my chasing wealth, prosperity? And wealth and prosperity isn't always money, but that's the easiest one to pick on. Could be reputation, could be social status, could be lots of things. Go to Galatians five thirteen. Anything, in other words, that gives you more creature credit. Galatians five thirteen. We're just amplifying the point on the board. The base principle is that we should regard one another as more important than ourselves. Kind of hard to do when there's no time left in the day to do such a thing, or you're too exhausted to do such a thing. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn... So most people say, that's awesome. That means I'm free to move about the cabin. I'm free to achieve whatever I want to achieve for myself. That is true. You have a free will. You're free to do those things. You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if you have a sense of freedom that has been given to you, and most of you have, I mean, heck, that was the name of our last church, right? Freedom in Christ Ministries. Everybody was, this is awesome. I'm set free. I have people that have been learning the word of God for four or five decades saying I've never been so free. And that's great. So everybody's like this. I don't worry about things. It freed up my entire day. I used to spend hours, if I added all the minutes together during the day that I worried about this, that, and the other, I used to spend hours a day concerned with things I shouldn't have been concerned with, and now I know better. I've been set free. That's awesome. You have all this free time, talent, maybe even treasure, because they come together sometimes. What are you going to spend it on? So he gives you more things, more currency by grace to purchase things to serve others. And what do you do? You have to answer that for yourself. I would argue most people take that freedom and turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. They say, I'm so much more free. I love these free gifts. It gives me more time to do what I want to do for myself. Because I do have a five-year goal. God loves me, knows that will make me happy. So he's on board. No, he's not. He's not because that's all about you. That's not about serving others. He sets you free, gives you more free currency, fills your pocket with grace so that you can do what? Do business, Luke 19. Do business while I'm away. And then when I come back, I'm going to check. And if you've been doing business for yourself, after the freedom he's given you, well, then you're going to have to answer him at the Bema seat. If not, by conviction, day after day. So, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Go to Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians <coughs> Ephesians 5:21, we're family, right? Everybody, want, everybody loves that term. I love my church family. I love my. Fam- I love my royal family. OK, Ephesians 5:21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject. Anybody all right? This past Thanksgiving or Christmas you pick. Anybody do something they really didn't want to do that involved family? because you would have made your mom, or your brother, or your sister, or your dad happy? Everybody's like, no, I I was pristine, I'm pure. Everybody does something during the holidays that they don't really want to do, right? Why? Because you're subject to the family ties. You get it? Be subject to one another. People have needs, and sometimes your needs aren't as important in that moment, right? And you need to set aside your own self self-absorption. You know, it's Christmas time. Get off your cell phone type thing. It's Christmas time. You know, celebrate with the family. It's Thanksgiving time. Go tell someone you love them instead of showing them that you don't by being self-absorbed. First Peter 5 5, go there. <clears throat> Speaking of holidays and old people. First Peter five five. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a lot to think about, folks. Those scriptures, those what, five, including Philippians two, are huge. There's a lot to chew on, isn't there? Take those five scriptures and compare them against your own heart. Right now. Compare them against your own life. Don't say, oh, I have the heart, but I don't have the life. Because you shall know them by their fruit. So, compare them against your heart. Compare them against your life. Again, the point on the board, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Describes what true humility looks like. Romans 12.10, Galatians 5.13, Ephesians 5.21, 1 Peter 5.5. By the way, we are called to do His business. His business. Now, most of us, whether we've run a business or been in business, most of us know what business is. Most of us know how worldly business is conducted successfully. If you want to be successful in business there are certain tenets that you have to follow, because they're worldly. That's the way it goes. So, we are called to do his business, Luke 19, 13. Not our own. So, I'm just sharing here, and I don't like to do this, but he's telling me to. I spent the last ten years of my secular career in global business development for one of the greatest high-tech companies to ever exist. And we were ultra-successful because we understood how business works. The caveat, in this world, of course. I was surrounded by some very intelligent people that understood how business works in the world. A lot of them weren't even Christians. But they were very good at what they did. And I was very good at what I did because I understood how business worked in the world. One of the things you learn as a, a business development manager is that you are the real product. So you're a face, a business development what I was was a face. I know hard to believe. Hard to use this face. But you're real you, you're you are the real product. You stand in front of three, four hundred people at a convention and you have something to say for forty five minutes, you're the product. They don't trust you, they don't like you. They're going to doodle on their computer while you're talking. So you're the product, whether you believe it or not. You realize this over time. You have your own, let's call it, personal brand. You have your own personal brand. You are the focus. You, you, you. You, 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 you. What did Jesus have to say about man's personal brand? Go to John 2.24. John 2.24. John 2.24. John 2.24. What did Jesus have to say about man's personal brand? What did he think about man? (laughs) John 2.24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, Jesus knew what man's personal brand was all about is about self-serving. Jesus doesn't trust any personal brand except his own. However, in industry, if you want the company to be successful, you have to be successful as an individual. You do this for yourself by doing business for yourself first and foremost why so that others in your arena will ultimately trust that you are playing the same game as they are anybody that's been spent any time in business knows the number one game is trust so if anybody's going to have a relationship with you they need to trust you Why do you think, for so many centuries, there's a well-known moniker for the so-called chiefs of business, namely the Boys Club? Why is it called the Boys Club? You know, being men is really only consequential, honestly. It's only consequential. Let me explain. The real reason is that the groups, these groups think alike. They're the same guys who grew up on the playground playing King of the Mountain, this kind of a thing. They're men. They know how other men think. It's So they trust each other. Do you get it? When push comes to shove, they know how that guy's going to react. They don't know how a woman's going to react all the time. So it scares them. Different response system. So really, just being a man is really consequential. I should say inconsequential. The real reason is that they trust, they think alike, so there's an innate trust for one another. So they trust that others think like them, partially because they are of the same gender. Now, listen, I already got some daggers looking at me. (laughs) I am not supporting such a thing. I'm not saying, oh, the boys club, oh, I'm a guy, so... So don't get your panties in a bunch, ladies. (laughs) settle down. What I'm doing is making a viable point to drive this subtle point home. I just told you it's not even about being men. It's about trust. Let's face it. Guys, women, let's face it. You go in a room, you've got to trust one of the people with something really important. Maybe it's an emotional thing. I don't know. There's a guy there and there's a girl there. You don't know either one. Which one do you pick? to help you out. Come on. Chances are the woman's going to understand you better. Now is that being a whatever? No, it's not. That's being practical. And it's the same thing. It's about trust. The glue to the so-called boys club, and why it's so difficult to gain invite into, is because it's all about trust. The existing members of the club must trust that upon entry you will adhere to the rules of the game. In other words, to, quote, do business with the likes of these industry titans, or at any relative level of the game, you must convince them that you are, quote, one of them. Otherwise, it has nothing to do with gender, it has to do with mindset. Otherwise, you risk sacrificing their trust and being wholly persecuted or simply put out to pasture as a useful, though untrustworthy, resource at their disposal. And by the way, I speak from personal experience, not conjecture. As I spun up in truth and began doing business for Christ, my personal business relationships began to erode as my compatriots realized I wasn't playing the same game I was playing by a different set of rules. I wasn't okay with certain practices. I wasn't okay with doing this thing. I wasn't okay with doing that thing. I wasn't interested in being part of the boys club. I really was. Did I get invite? Yep, several times. Didn't want it. So what the hell, what do I want to be part of that for? What do I want to be part of that? So I can what, achieve something for myself? So I can drive a better car? What, what am I after here? Why would I compromise my own integrity, my own integrity to Christ, to do that thing? So for all of you business-oriented folks out there, whether you're running your own business or scraping your way up the corporate ladder, this one's for you. Doing the Lord Jesus Christ business, not yours. Attending an occasional charity event, making a donation, or doing something nice now And again, for someone else, does not constitute regard one another as more important than yourselves. Anyone, even an unbeliever, can do these things. And does, in order to obtain more currency. Creature credit. Why? So They can move up the ladder in Satan's economy. Why else? That's what it's all about. They're often charitable because it makes business sense. It makes sense to be charitable. It makes sense to pick up the phone and call your client and say, hey, how's the wife doing? It makes sense. Why? Because it's all about creature credit. You're telling them you care. But what you really care about the end goal is to get ahead, is to get more creature credit for you. I'm not saying it's not laced with real relationships. I'm saying, let's face it, that's the way business is run. What the Spirit's saying to some of you is stop playing games. Stop being the dipsukos, the double-minded person. Nothing ever goes by the wayside, especially poor purchases. And again, you purchase with time, talent, treasure in God's eyes. Go, or actually, I've got it up here for you. In the message, Galatians 6, 7 8. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So, the question is, or the thing for all of you, is you need to challenge yourselves using the Word of God, not your senses, to assess your situation. I mean, I just gave you five scriptures that should put most of you back on your heels. So you need to challenge yourselves. Who are you living for? Honest to goodness, who are you living for? And don't go don't say Christ and then run out and live for yourself. Who are you truly living for? Here's another question that many of you need to address. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose approval are you seeking? Whose currency are you rich in? What purchases have you made with it? When contemplating your next purchase, and remember it's not, purchases are done not just with money, that's the easy one to point out, but it's also your time, your abilities. Next time you go to make a purchase, ask yourself these questions, this will help. Will this purchase with time, talent, treasure bring glory to God in heaven or not? And remember, the things that we purchase, the things that we strive for, they're based on the end goal. Will this purchase bring glory to God in heaven or not? The thing that you're doing with your time, your treasure. Second, will what I'm buying be something I get to keep in heaven for all of eternity? Because Jesus says, buy for me gold refined by fire. Wisdom says, you want me. I'm greater than gold. Those things have nothing to do with money. Not at all. At the end of Solomon's, and I'm going to paraphrase, at the end of Solomon's famous Ecclesiastes book, he says, at the end of all this, fear God, keep His commandments. as a balance statement, because I don't want people walking out of here like this. What do I do? What am I doing? Don't overanalyze any of this either. You, and you, my friend, nobody in here is going to change overnight. If you're a self-absorbed jackass right now, I'm going to tell you this. It's going to be a news break. Tomorrow, you're going to still be a self-absorbed jackass. Imagine that you're not gonna change overnight, but he will change you if you're open to it if you're humble he, w- he He will change you But it's not gonna happen overnight So don't play that game either don't get all fired up over a message and go. I totally get it. I'm totally changed. No, you're not because everything that you've built your little life has you going in that direction and you're going to have to slowly go, ur, ur, and it's like turning the Titanic. Ur, 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 and you're going to have to pluck it off, pick it out, pray on it, and keep praying on it, and be earnest about this thing with him. Say, Father, show me where I keep doing this. Show me how I'm doing this even now. So don't overanalyze any of this either, in the sense where you become paralyzed. I call it analysis paralysis. Paralysis. Don't become paralyzed spiritually. You are what you are. If you're overanalyzing, that usually means, or can often mean, you're trying to squirm out of the obvious conviction of the Spirit. In other words, you're trying to (laughs) say, well, I do do this, but, you know. I go to church. Everybody knows I'm a Christian. So God put me in this position so that everybody would just look at me and say, oh, there's a Christian. But you're, you're indistinguishable from your peers. So you're just being there. It doesn't mean Jack. If anything, you, you might be, even be damaging the name of Christ by not standing up for him. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. So sometimes we find ourselves overanalyzing for the wrong reason, looking for loopholes, even, to justify our ridiculousness. So don't do that either. Just don't overanalyze for either case. Do you have faith enough to empty your pockets of creature credit? Do you have faith enough to empty your pockets of creature credit? I mean right now. If Jesus was standing in front of you right now and you were to personify, you know, these currencies and he said, "Empty your pockets." You know? Empty your pockets in front of me right now. Would you be willing to empty your pocket of creature credit? <clears throat> Would you be willing to cast it aside if he asked you to, especially would you? So do you have enough faith to empty your pockets of creature credit, or do you, or are you just not there yet? So then I ask the second question, well, when's the right time? If you're not there yet, then when's the right time? When you're 70 years old and regretful? When's the right time to start this process? I'll get, listen, when I, re- when I reach my five-year goal, Then I'll do it. I'll still only be X years old. Then I'll empty my pockets. Jesus knows how earnest I am right now. He knows how honest I am. When I get here, then I'll empty my pockets. Okay? That's my deal with God. What do you think about dealing with God? Is he just another business dealing to you? He's just another, what, client? Just another... Manipulable person. What is he to you? Do you deal with God that way? I don't know. So when's the right time? I'm thinking now, but I don't know. Could be wrong. True faith. We saw that in Matthew seventeen twenty. True faith always implies complete surrender to God, His will, His precepts, His commands, and even His scale of values. Both the source and the object of faith is God. True faith always implies complete surrender to God, His will, His precepts, His commands, and even His scale of values. Both the source and the object of faith is God. Luke 1.37 says, "...for nothing will be impossible with God." So if you think emptying your pockets of creature credit will somehow leave you worse off, and thats I would think that's what a lack of faith looks like, if you think that emptying your pockets of creature credit will leave you worse off, then let me encourage you, go to Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. So if that's your fear, some of you are like, but I can't let it go. I mean, look at how much I've got invested in this world. Look at my life. It's awesome. How do I just sort of let go of this? How do I, how do I esteem others more important than myself? How do I do this? Well, it's between you and the Lord. I mean, I know what Scripture says. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do... Far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, he's the one who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. It's not like we're powerless, we're on the promises of God here. So emptying your pockets of creature credit, strictly speaking, is not a scary thing at all. Strictly speaking. It's only scary to the flesh. When you hear the likes of Luke one thirty seven, which says, for nothing will be impossible with God, do you say to yourself, thank God I'll be delivered from this fleshly life I've been living? Or do you say to yourself, thank God I'll be delivered from this, or excuse me, Or is it more like God can show me how much He loves me by giving me what I want? Which one's you? Thank God I'll be delivered from this fleshly life I've been living? Or God can show me how much He loves me by giving me what I want? When you hear that, nothing's impossible with God. The question is who's your God? If he's coin-operated, then he is this first instance. Is God nothing more than a cheesy second-rate suitor to you? Do you think that his goal is to flirt with you by encouraging your obsession with worldly prosperity, money, toys, clothes, etc.? Does Satan disguise himself as an angel of light? Who's your God? Is he just someone that you just get to pray for stuff Or is he the one that's trying to change your entire mind? Is he trying to transform you? Romans 12, right? Two. Is he trying to transform your mind from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness? From self-absorption to esteeming others even greater than yourself? What's he trying to do with you? Is he just trying to build up this aspect? That's what he's, that, Since you deem that's what's going to make you happy, then he's just going to flood you with What? Worldly prosperity so that you can feel better about yourself compared to your peers or, you know, whatever creature credit, however creature credit rears its head in your soul? Or is he going to break down that entire system like he's been trying to do? Is he going to try to strip you of that entire system of thinking, the one that has been bolstered since you were a child, the one that runs rampant in our own country, what do you think he's going to do? What do you think he's trying to do? What is it that some of you are so resisting? Why are you resisting it? Why are you making an issue out of the pastor? Why are you looking at men? Why, do you, why are you doing these things? Why are you still trying to justify your ridiculousness? That's between you and the Lord. Like I said, I'm not here, I'm not, I'm not here to judge, I'm here to teach. Stated more theologically, who's your God? Who receives your gratitude? People derive their prosperity from their God. Little G. Could be big G, but often it's little G. It's a variable. People show their gratitude to that same entity. I mean, the easiest example is if you're your own god, if you're your own idol, right? When you achieve something, who do you say kudos to? You look in the mirror and go, ta-da, I'm a swell guy. I'm a swell gal. I did this all myself. Mm -hmm. In four and a half years, not even five. You see, who gets your gratitude? Who do you want to get the gratitude? when you, quote, finish the race. People derive their prosperity from their God. People show their gratitude to that same entity. Therefore, based on how and when most Christians say thank you to God, one has to wonder which God they are actually thanking. We know through Scripture that Satan will give you things. Satan will tempt you. Isn't that what he did in Matthew 4 with Jesus? Jesus. Bow down to me and I'll give you all of this. You don't think he's geared to give you whatever it is you think you want so that your eyes go towards anyone or anything but Christ? What do you think this is all about, folks? This isn't, look, This isn't church. This is life. You want to go to church, go down the street. You want to hear about life, you want to pluck apart life, you want to actually look at life, here you are. This is life. This is just a bus ride to get you to another place, to get you thinking, to stir the pot. All the real work, folks, is done between you and the Holy Spirit on your own time after these lessons? Why do you think I'm up here like a broken, stinking record saying, please, read your Bibles. Pray. Keep on praying. Pray without ceasing. Does that sound familiar? Does that, is, that, is that Scripture? Does anybody know? What do you think this is about? The real heavy lifting. See, the problem is most people come to church. They go, uh uh-huh. It's Tuesday night. I went to church. As soon as they're off the curb, it might last another half an hour, it's like, uh, you know, Chinese food, right, but then it wears off. And they're back, you know, some of them can't even wait. Some of them say, 23 times more likely to get in a car wreck texting and driving. I'm awesome. They can't even wait to get home. They're breaking the law. How's that caring for other people? Whoa! almost hit that lady in a baby carriage. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How's that living for others? Most people can't even make it home before they're already knee-deep in that thing that he's trying to deliver you from. These lessons, folks, they're supposed to pervade your souls. A humble person, these things stick with them. An arrogant person goes... Nope, don't like that one. Nope, don't like that one. Nope, don't like that one. Don't have to listen because it's that bald guy anyway. He's just a dude, so I don't have to listen to him. I'll listen, I listen to God. I, I, I read my Bible. guess I'm just an idiot then with a spiritual gift that God must have been on crack giving to. So I don't have to listen to him. I don't have to listen to that. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to go to church and encourage people. I know it's scripture. I know it's scripture. But it doesn't count for me. Ah. Huh. Right? Everybody's got their own little, like, ridiculousness. It's like, (laughs) we're talking about life. These are the things you're supposed to carry outside. These are the things you're supposed to pray without ceasing. You're supposed to go to Him intimately and say, what's going on? You got my attention. What is going on? At this point on Sunday, I'm almost out of time. I can't believe it. I'm not even halfway through my notes. Whatever. At this point on Sunday, I gave you the Corvette parable. Remember that guy? Just saying. I haven't even got the matchbox yet. Just saying. I'm still waiting. The moral of that story. Who gave you what? This is a big one for people. Ask yourselves the next time you purchase something. Do the reactions of others factor into your decisions? If you could have a functionally equivalent item, less the name tag, and I'm just picking on name tags because everybody relates to them, less the name tag or the look at me flash, would you purchase it? In other words, what are you purchasing it for? Who, who's it for? Whose approval are you seeking, first of all? And who gave you that? Who gave you that thing? Why not purchase what you want rather than what the world wants? God's much happier with that. And you can't say, but I do want that thing. Yeah, but you want it for the wrong reasons. You want it because you want to move up the creature credit lavender. That's the wrong motivation. Right? What's a good example? I don't know. Cheese. What's the name of that? Expensive cheese, Sean? Mascarpone. First time probably most of you have heard of it. It's in tiramisu. I learned that from my son. It's very expensive cheese. Now, if you've got a taste bud for expensive cheese, so be it. But don't take the mascarpone down to Starbucks and put it out for everyone to see and move it around. This is mascarpone cheese. I paid $60 an ounce. Do you get what I'm saying? If you really want Mascarpone cheese, and that's your thing, and you know God blessed you out, gave you the taste buds to sense it, nothing wrong with that, right? It's not, there literally isn't anything wrong with the finer things in life. I mean, think about the woman with the expensive perfume that she put on Jesus' feet. Right? There's nothing wrong with those things, but that was also the woman who didn't have a problem putting it on someone's feet. So, think about that. Why do you have it? And if you happen to obtain said thing, did other people have anything to do with it? In other words, if you lived on a, a secluded island and you were the only person, and every month someone came by, dropped a $100 bill down, and two weeks later someone came by with a little cart peddling stuff, you're going to buy food. Are you going to buy Geordash jeans? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What are you going to purchase if no one's looking? Seriously. What are you going to purchase if no one else is looking? Because the things that you purchase have everything to do with what you think about the world thinking about you. Let me see if I can really drive this home. entitlement issues. You are not quote, entitled to a prosperous life by world standards first of all. When you were saved and adopted as a child of God you were entitled, in title, title in hand. But what do you have title deed to? Wisdom. This is what he said he'll give you. Jesus says, buy from me gold refined by fire. That's this. That's what he's talking about. So you are entitled to wisdom in the word regarding true prosperity. So you're not entitled because you're what? Most people in the United States think they're entitled, but you're not. So, stated differently in closing, if the God of the universe isn't willing to give you something, you ought to expect that the world will in an effort to seduce you away from God's will for you. Let me say it again. If the God of this universe isn't willing to give you something, you ought to expect that the world will in an effort to seduce you away from God's will for you. You see, God won't give you things that aren't designed to bring glory to Him, but Satan will. So here's a question to ponder until Thursday. If you lost everything tomorrow, so you go to bed tonight, and you wake up tomorrow, and you literally lost everything that has any ties to your own self-sanctification. In other words, you were stripped of your creature credit. Anything that had any tie to creature credit, God ripped out by force. Your social reputation, your intelligence, and I'm just saying these are things that people tie creature credit to. So let's say these things were tied to your creature credit, and so God removed them. Your social reputation, your intelligence, your bank account, your job, your looks, your home, your children, your pets even. If you lost all those things, and go ahead and take a moment now to really imagine that situation. Just take a second. Imagine tomorrow if you woke up, all those things were ripped out of your hands because God said, Preacher credit is tied to all those things. I don't want you to have them anymore. If you lost all those things, and go ahead, take that time, would you still come to church? Would you go grocery shopping at different times? Would you become suddenly, quote, invisible? due to your newfound, let's call it shame. But the question is, why the shame? Why even the possibility of the shame? Because you're stupid? Or broke and homeless? Or ugly and jobless? Why the shame? Seriously, why would that or any of it matter? That's the question I'll leave you with. If you lost everything tomorrow, and be honest with yourself, anything whatsoever that has built you up with creature credit over the years, if you lost anything tied to creature credit and everything tomorrow morning, how would you be off? How would you be? And why would it matter? Why should any of it matter? Isn't that what he's saying? None of it matters, folks. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.